Hi, I'm Patrick Pond, CEO and founder of Fabro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to this show is that Fabro customers are some of the most innovative companies in the world. Enterprises wanting to be more agile, software as a service companies scaling fast, and game developers and publishers wanting to master live ops. So we get to know some truly inspiring leaders in product development, marketing, operations, sales, executive management. And what we do here is that we interview them about leadership so we can all learn from them. Let's go. And we are live with another Patrick. Um, I've been having a podcast before that you might have seen with uh, Tommy Palm. So then it was the same uh, family name, even though we're not related as far as we know. And today, you know, uh, I'm here with Patrick, but but I think you normally go more by Pat, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, unless you're my mother or something. All right, cool. Well, <laughs> you know, it's I'm, I'm going to stick to Pat then, you know, so I don't get into the category of your mother, <laughs> even though I'm I'm sure she's amazing. Um, uh, so we have we have an interesting conversation today. You know, um, we had a little chat before, uh, talking about, you know, crisis management in game productions, and we're going to get a little bit more into that, but, um. Let's start with just a bit on your story because um, I don't think everyone knows you. I uh, was listening, and um, you know, uh, one way is simply to just look at someone's you know LinkedIn or just kind of like walk through their resume. But but I, I'm I would love to hear kind of like you know, your kind of more personal story, like you know what what brought you to to you know what you do today. Oh yeah, like uh, so I've been making games for probably about twenty three years now. Uh, started off in engineering back at Bioware back in the day. So I was in engineering roles for a long time. Well, we, we, which games did you work on at Bioware? Because I think there's a lot of fans here. Uh, I worked on uh, I worked on Jade Empire, Mass Effect, uh, the Dragon Age games, uh, a couple canceled projects as well that didn't see the light of day. And uh, yeah, and at around like 2010 or so, I've, I was always the guy that the engineers would send to talk to artists or designers uh, back in the day, so I thought that was fun. Uh, but as I progressed in my career, I found that um, I cared more about how the team was functioning and working together and how they were kind of executing and accomplishing goals and the actual like coding and engineering uh, stuff itself. So in uh, 2010, I kind of flipped over to the full uh, dark side of production <laughs> and that was actually on the uh, pilot project when Bioware was evaluating the Frostbite engine that DICE was making. And that that's when I kind of realized that, okay, I could leave I could leave coding and everything behind and just kind of focus on this uh, for the rest of my career. And since then, I've been doing that in various roles, so at uh, startups, but also at uh, larger AAA companies. So I worked at a few startups uh, locally here in Canada. I also worked at an NFT startup way back in 2018 called Engine, built that team up there. We did some great things. And uh, in that time also, I we lived in Europe. So we, we lived in Europe for about four or five years. So I worked at IO Interactive. I worked at Massive. And uh, my last gig was at Remedy Entertainment in Finland as a lead producer of Alan Wake 2. And... Then we ended up coming back because of COVID and uh, personal stuff and everybody's getting older and the kids are getting older. So now I'm back in Canada working at Galaxy. And, um, you know, I am, 
you know, you know, when I was speaking with you before, um, you know, when when we were connected, you know, by, you know, uh, you know, one of our account managers who's who's responsible, you know, for for you as a client, you know, I was I was just looking on LinkedIn, you know, I was like, holy moly, like we have so many common connections, yeah. But but when 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 it does it makes sense, you know, when you you know with with the kind of campus you've been at, it's not so strange that um that we have so many common connections because the. The game industry is, in many ways, very big and 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 very fast growing and all that. But in one way, it's also kind of a very small but highly international community. Indeed, yeah, I, I meet people all the time. Even in my current role, didn't think I'd meet people, but actually, I met people that worked at Dice just a couple of weeks ago that I didn't know from before, but that we have common connections, and it's really cool. Yeah, and you know, I want to give you the opportunity to say a few things about Gala Games. You know, you just just for the ones who you know doesn't doesn't know what you do. So you know, just just a little bit of like your 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 current stuff. Yeah. So my current role is lead producer on a fantasy MMO called Mirandus, which is uh, being built by Gala Games. As um, you know, it's kind of your traditional, a little bit old school EverQuest type MMO. We're kind of going back. To basics and of course gala being uh nft uh company we, we are incorporating that sort of technology into our game but um you know that being said it's a game studio first so <laughs> we're actually creating the game and then we're seeing how the technology can work into it afterwards um and uh yeah so that's our approach to that all right cool so let's let's get into the meat of the, the conversation today. I'm I'm very eager. So, um, you know, you um, you you kind of coined the term, you know, crisis-driven development. Um, and um, it, you know, and I guess the conversation is, you know, how do we avoid this? <laughs> so we need to start with some definitions. I mean, can you just share a couple of kind of you know battle stories or what what you know what what crisis-driven development really means? Yeah, so what, what crisis-driven development means to me is when uh, usually leadership of a project kind of uh, comes down and tries to shock the team uh, into completion urgency with like, you know, uh, an unrealistic deadline or a demo or something. Usually it's kind of like your traditional E3 demo or we got this trade, so that sounds like a good opportunity to kind of shock the team in, into uh, uh, completion urgency and um, uh, going, you know, usually it's with a fixed scope and uh, also timeline. So there's not much flexibility. It's kind of meant to kind of be a little bit unattainable for the team to achieve that. Yeah. And, and usually, usually the reason why they do that is because uh, frequently game leadership they, they always want to know when the game's going to ship. They operate more in a kind of a waterfall fashion. And if they, they if they see on the, whatever's happening on the shop floor is not lining up with their mental model of where the game should be, sometimes this is one of the kind of techniques that they go to to try to, like, uh, you know, get get things going, so to speak. And, and you know, from, from your experience, you know, when, when this is happening, I mean, you know, there's, there's no lack of you know, death march stories in the game industry for the last 20 years. No. <laughs> you know? Or probably even longer. Um, how can you, you know, can, can can you talk a little bit about 
you know, the, the effects. Um, and, and I actually want to challenge you a little bit, you know, like the, the, the bad ones, obviously, but also, you know, maybe are there some good things coming out of this? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, I mean, the bad ones are kind of ones that are totally unachievable and where the team feels like they're, they have no support at all from leadership and, uh, that, you know, this is just kind of hopeless and we'll never make it. And, and, uh, there's no kind of, yeah, support there to help the team achieve those things. I think the positive instances of it is when the goal is really clear that needs to be hit and on time and the leadership is there to kind of help support the team and, uh, in whatever way that they need to achieve those goals. So, uh, an example on, uh, a good example of this is on Dragon Age where we had to, uh, port the two, um, we had to port Dragon Age Origins, a PC RPG that was built as a PC RPG from the ground up to, uh, the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox in eight months. And we've never done anything like that before. Um, in that case, it was fairly, it was a fairly healthy thing overall because the goal was actually clear. We had the ship on these platforms on a given date. We had to be within five Metacritic of, of the PC version of the game. Those were basically our parameters. Outside of that, the team was given carte blanche to assemble whatever they needed and get the support. So, um, some examples of that is we didn't have expertise on PS3. So we actually hired like the ninja team, I forget their name from Naughty Dog to come and sit with us with our engineers for a couple of weeks to help them level up on, uh, the gear and, uh, same with just the team makeup. We were basically able to pull people from wherever to get on a team with like no red tape at all. So stuff like that is what I mean about uh studio kind of supporting the team when they need to execute. Yeah, no, that is a very, very good example, you know, because I, I think, you know, I think it's important to recognize, you know, both the good and the bad, right? Um, and, um, but what's leading a little bit into why, why I think this conversation with you today is so interesting is that, I mean, if we look at games today, I mean, pretty much everything is, you know, it's live ops. You know, it, it's, you know, there's, there's no room for death march because that would be a Monday death march. You know, because there's like something dropping every week, um, and you need to keep teams in sync. And and I think this is that, that that's kind of like a huge. Um, well, I should be careful what I say now, but but there's there's def there's definitely you know some some big change that needs to happen. Uh, with uh, well, let's put it this way. I mean, from my horizon, I can see that it's quite uneven within the game industry. You know, who has started to really adapt. Uh, to these kind of challenges and who are still stuck in, in quite old-fashioned ways of thinking and their life is just going to get more painful for them. Um, and, and in your case, you know, you, you know, I, I believe that you've been having a chance to, to kind of build, you know, things around team and culture uh, in a way to actually avoid this. And I would love to hear a little bit like, you know, your thoughts, you know, coming into this and like, you know, you know well, well, you know, how to get it right. Yeah, well, uh, the jury's still out whether we have it actually right or not. But in terms of uh, my time at Gala and the, the, the momentum and kind of the morale of the team and kind of where we are in in our kind of development journey, we're still technically in pre-production. But we don't really have that. We don't make those distinctions anymore like in the old AAA 
kind of ship games where you have a fixed pre-production and then you have a fixed production and then you ship it. Um, I found in, in those kind of projects, it doesn't really work very well. The whole thing usually just run out of time and Banner's Fate goes, okay, you're at a pre-production. Now you're in production. You got to ship the game in 18 months. Um, so what we're trying at Gala is, you know, not anything too crazy. We're just trying to keep the, the crises very small and kind of manageable. And um, that usually involves, um, you know, just releasing the game on a regular basis and kind of building the DevOps thing right from the beginning, even when we don't really have anything. So for an example, our first release was just a player running around in a environment, a gym with all our player metrics and everything. And that was, that was our, our shippable thing for the game. No, but that, that's cool. I mean, you know, if we, if we go to like textbook agile, you know, you know, small increments, some, you know, high, high, high value, you know, and I mean, that sounds like a, you know, a perfect, uh, example of that, but can you give some more examples? I mean, you know, you know, you know, some of you are, I mean, what would be, you know, if, if you, if I forced you to give a GDC speech about your production framework, you know, what would, what, what kind of pillars would, would that be? Uh, I mean, again, I don't, I don't think it's really outside of, uh, the kind of agile principles that everybody talks about. It's more about really, uh, I would say avoid doing things like trying to create long-term waterfall roadmaps, uh, that are beyond, uh, something I call the BS event horizon, which, uh, usually le leadership wants those avoid that. Can you, can you say that again? BS Event Horizon. Did you say that? The BS Event Horizon. Oh gosh, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote that. I'm gonna quote that. That's so yeah. good. When your director <laughs> goes, I want to know. I want to know what you guys will be working on in what sequence, uh, in a kind of block diagram or roadmap, like two years from now, when you don't even have like a player swinging a sword in your game or something like that. Like that. That's what I'm talking about. So, I would say. Spend less time doing those sorts of activities, really dig in. And again, this is like textbook, like agile stuff, like dig in with the teams, uh, get them working on the smallest increment that they could ship and actually ship it. So ex execute like your shipping process and deployment and everything and do it. And uh, I find that a lot of game teams just really constantly try to put the, the cart in front of a horse. And if you don't let them do that and just kind of, ship the game, then that's, um, that's one way to do it. Uh, the second thing I guess would be also to give the teams the flexibility. So if you're doing a release trainer of every six months or two months or one month, uh, give the team more, um, agency when determining like the work and the scope of things that they're shipping. How do you, how do you make sure that, well, what, what kind of. I mean, this is a super boring question, you know, coming from a business person here, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, what, what kind of metrics do you use? I mean, how, because some of these things, I guess, are a little bit metrics driven too, right? Yeah, I think some of them, some of them are. We, we keep the metrics pretty light. Uh, we, we are very, uh, try to be outcome based. So not just look at the output of the team, really kind of double down. And I mean, this is all normal advice that production type people give is uh, double down on the work and the outcomes that you're delivering to make sure what we're delivering is the right thing. And uh, in terms of metrics, we keep it fairly light and we try to, so we measure like throughput, 
like velocity. We measure um, how much work that how much work the teams uh, signed up for versus what they delivered in a cycle. And most of the metrics, again, are not so that we can report up to management about how the velocity of team is X or Y. It's to actually help the teams cultivate uh, knowledge about what they could pull off in a given cycle because the teams are actually more constant, I find, than the work. The work is actually quite variable and depending on what feature you're working on, it could be a lot of different things. So, so we've kind of fallen back to more measuring the teams and what they could deliver and helping them kind of cultivate that. Okay. So, um, how does this affect the uh, recruitment? I mean, you know, with, with all your experiences, would you say that, um, you know, like you today are thinking differently, how you recruit people compared to how you were thinking, you know, when just, you know, earlier in your career? Ah, uh, yeah. Like I think, um, it does affect recruitment quite a bit in terms of, uh, I look for, well, first of all, I, I look for people, I like, uh, having a mixed team. So I like having uh, senior people on the team, but also junior people that ask a lot of questions and kind of challenge conventions, uh, in terms of recruiting, we look for people that are just more kind of, um, you know. I don't want to say T-shaped because that could be come off as like really, uh, kind of arrogant in some ways, but just people that are kind of more willing to kind of, um, know a little bit outside of their usual domain. Um, and then for leaders, we actually look a lot for, uh, people that have uh, very good kind of, uh, soft skills and are human in terms of, you know, they're not as product focused. They look more out. They look at the game as a whole, so they look at the product, but they also look at the people and the team as something that needs to be kind of nurtured and uh, and uh, taken care of as well. Um, sometimes I say it's like game production these days is almost like it's more like gardening than like building an assembly line. So if especially when you're working with a team, so uh, they all have to go through those journeys individually in their squads, but as a whole as well. And that's always really tricky. That, that's interesting, you know, the, the guarding. I mean, does that also apply to a process? Ah, uh, yeah, it actually does. So um, in terms of process, uh, some some teams require kind of more guardrails to grow on and that sort of thing as they do things. And other teams um, don't require that as much, but yet you manage to stay on task and on focus. So uh, I think it does apply to that as well. And, uh, yeah, sometimes you have to weed too, and <laughs> that's more dealing with, uh, team dynamics and how people are working together and how they're achieving the goals together. So uh, I actually have a, like a really tough question for you. <laughs> okay. You know, a lot, a lot of your thinking that we've been discussing today are what I would probably call quite uh, modern and it, it you know, the, you know, the, the, the best teams right now, uh, are getting into this kind of thinking on how to um you know you know culture you know how to build a good team you know how to deliver uh if you listen to some of my other uh, podcast interviews you you know you will definitely hear some some of that coming coming now what about investors i mean are, are they are they on the are, are they on the train i mean do, do they understand or they're like stuck in old ways of thinking like you know, hey you know you know you need more command and control or 
Do you feel like they're they're uh, they're on board? Uh, I mean, it depends on the investor, but I think uh, for the most part, uh, a team that is delivering something every six weeks or two months, even though I find it's hard for anybody who's outside of the game development process to really kind of evaluate uh, a product that is in development. So they, they'll always focus on the graphics or something like that, right? But um, I think uh, for the for the old older school investors, it's probably not. They don't see the value in the outcomes as much. But for those that are a little bit more savvy and are into this kind of mindset, uh, being able to kind of take the build and play it and say, hey, this is what we tried to push on for this release, and seeing that progress over a long period of time, excellence over time, that's where I think you build the confidence with the. Uh, you know, leadership and investors and stakeholders. Yeah, no, that, that, that's good to hear. Um, you know, we're coming a little bit up on time, but there's one question I really want to ask you, uh, because you know, when I've been when you know, just just talking to some of the people in the audience, um, just generally like who listens to this podcast, uh, there's a lot of very senior talent, but there's also some very new talent. You know, people that are still actually studying. Um, I think you know when you and I started in the industry, there was there was not really any, um, you know, game development program at the universities specifically for becoming a producer. You know, uh, I just you, you know it was more like you know just just learn to code really well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and but but today there is you know and 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 we have many listeners you know here that that are those guys. So you know from you know. From a career uh, point of view, what would you advise, uh, you know, the ones who are the, the, the aspiring producers of tomorrow uh, on, you know, what to focus on, you know, what's important, you know? Yeah, so I think um, for aspiring producers, if you're not someone that comes from a discipline, so whether it's uh, engineering or design or art uh, or QA or any of those kind of disciplines, um, that I think that's still very handy to come from one of those uh, kind of areas to get get some credibility with the team. And uh, other than that, I think, yeah, the agile and all the methodologies don't. It's kind of like programming languages. It it's the fundamentals that matter. It's not really the specific application of things. And um, the other thing I would uh, mentor junior more junior production types is really pay attention to kind of like leadership type things so like read books like you know five dysfunctions of a team that's where i kind of see a lot of the gaps with the more junior people on our team they, they're really kind of big on the methodologies and everything but they kind of almost see the team like as a separate entity cool. um well thank you so much it's been uh, it's been good talking with you and um nice to discuss also um you know um you know, so, so, some of the tough challenges, you know, that, that uh, you know, has been and are going to continue to be. But but I hope that we'll have less crisis-driven development and less um, of the death marches and that we're moving into a more healthy, you know, industry. And, and I think, you know, you're one of the people leading the way there. So that's great. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, you know what to do. Share it in your social media so more people can take part and learn. And one more thing, check out Favro Academy on favro.com. 
for many more learnings. Thanks for tuning in.